I want to thank you all, first of all, for, for your giving. On our uh, candlelight evening service, we took an offering. We had great attendance, and we took an offering for our benevolence fund. And as a church, on that evening, you gave uh, over $2,000, which is going to help a lot of folks. Amen. So praise God for that. Appreciate your giving. And there's been a lot of families we've been helping throughout the year, and I know we're going to need to help in 2016. So thank God for that. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Word of God this morning. Father, help us understand and discern your principles and your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here it is, the top of the year, and it's my responsibility to teach you on giving. Stewardship. It's really important. Your tax man is going to be looking for this. But I want you to understand God's principles for giving. Stewardship is a principle for life that if we don't get it right, it's going to overtake us instead of us ruling our finances. And so what I've entitled this this morning so that you get a biblical, a clear biblical understanding of giving is this. We are to give with God, not to God. And, and that it's always given as, spoken as giving to God, giving to God. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. There's a big difference. And this part of giving and stewardship has a lot to do with your heart. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart lies. And so God doesn't need our money. And what we're to be doing is to be actively involved in what God's doing in your life with the stewardship and finance so that you're giving with God. I also want to set a few things straight. God never stops giving. He never stops giving to you. Some of you think, and you've been taught, that if I don't hit that golden mark of 10%, God's not going to work on my behalf. You're not paying God for nothing, all right? You don't pay him to labor and work. In fact, it's only by the blood of Jesus that God is fully satisfied with us and continually gives. How many of you know, even if you've been in rebellion, God still gives and ministers? If that were not so, none of us would be able to restore ourselves with him. Because usually the only reason we come back in restoration to him is because he's been giving continually to us to draw us back. All right, so what I want you to understand in stewardship today is that we are giving with God. He doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. And so what we need to begin to look at is that ever popular word, the tithe, the tithe. Now, different churches use it for different purposes. The word tithe in some churches, and tends to be in our church, the word tithe, we simply use as your offering. It's a word for let's take the offering, tithes, offerings, and so forth. Other churches take it much more literally as a tithe means 10%. And it's based on the Old Testament structure of 10% of giving. Can you figure out how 10 became part of the numbering system of man? I'm just wondering. Can you figure that out? Okay, so a tenth. You know, we've got 10 fingers, 10 toes. And uh, so a tenth represents the whole of all that you have. And in the Old Testament, the tithe was to be given to represent all that man had. 
But I want to share with you this morning that in New Testament giving, we do not give 10%. Oh, you may give 10%, but we shouldn't stop at 10%. Nor should we think that 10% somehow is some continued mystical number that God approves of and anything less God hates or in fact will curse based on Malachi. Those are wrong interpretations. I want you to understand the giving in the New Testament. Could I tell you this? If we would give even up to 10%, uh, our situation would be different and the power of the church would be different in the United States. American Christians give 2.5% in their offerings. So it's interesting, we've been having teaching on tithing for years and years and it's been spoken and it has been commanded and it has been delivered for I don't know how many years in American Christianity and after all that teaching and all that condemnation still the average Christian only gives 2.5% of their income to the work of the Lord. That's pretty bad. So we can do all the preaching about the law and the legalism of 10% and what God feels about it, and that's not going to change people. Can I tell you why? Because people's hearts have not been captivated by God. Thank you. See, we can browbeat, we can push, we can coerce, we can command, we can read scriptures, but if your heart has not been captivated to give, you'll not give. This is the bottom line. And I want to show you the principles of giving. God doesn't need your money, he wants your heart. He wants you to participate in his move and what he wants to accomplish in the earth. If you'll grab hold of what God wants to do with the kingdom of God and what he wants to do through you, money is no longer the object, money is not the issue, and a percentage is not the issue. You'll give out of your heart and the move of God, and you'll work with God, not against. Amen? And so let's take a look at this. If the number of Christians in the United States were, were to give 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. Listen, folks, there, the, the number of Christians in the United States could match some of what these Fortune 500 uh, uh, businesses are bringing in. But we're, bottom line is we're spending our money somewhere else. We're spending it somewhere else. And what God wants to do is captivate our hearts because the tithing pressure isn't the key. And the reason it isn't working is because it's not New Testament. And so we've been missing at speaking what needs to be done. Let me share with you what the tithe in the Old Testament has really been about, why God established the tithe in the Old Testament. The tithe had everything to do with the land. The land. Israel was in the land of Canaan, Canaan, the land of milk and honey, because it was God's portion for Israel. And they were to, in a sense, pay lease to the land. They were to honor the land. Reason being so that they understood God owns everything. Let me help you understand it. The issue is not the tithe, but the land. It's called ownership fee. Who's in charge? Leviticus 25, verse 23, God said this, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. In other words, ever. You cannot own and sell the land in Israel, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. 
And so what God did is he gave everybody a plot of land and the tithe was based on the byproduct of what the land produced. There were three tithes. Wow. I'm sorry. My slides are out of order. There were three tithes that were given. Those three tithes were brought forth each year. In the first year, Leviticus 27.30 says this, and all the tithe of the land, Leviticus 27.30, if you're taking notes, all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So who paid tithes in Israel? Farmers and shepherds. Those who lived off the land. Herdsmen or farmers. They're the ones who tithed because anything that came from the land, the 10% belonged to God. So you were honoring God for the fruit of the land. And so carpenters didn't tithe, craftsmen didn't tithe, bricklayers didn't tithe, merchants didn't tithe. The only ones who tithed were those who had produce coming from the land. All right, That's where the tithe came from. And they were to give 10% of their crop or their herd unto the Lord because it was fruitful from the land. And they were to give it for the tribe that did not have property, the Levites. And so the tithe was given from the land to the tribe who ministered day and night in the sanctuary on behalf of the people to take care of them because they did not have a plot of land to live on. And so it was a theocratic system by which God, through the tithe, 10% of whatever grew on the land was given to the Levites to sustain the life of Israel. That's where the tithe comes from, literally. In the second year, they were to take their tithe, their offerings, grain or wine or, or oil, and the firstborn of the herd or flock, and take that to the city where God commanded for them to celebrate the feasts. It helped them provide for the feasts. They were to use that tithe for themselves to be in the presence of God and enjoy the feasts. They would go to Jerusalem three times a year. And if it was too far of a journey, they were to take that tithe of the fruits, vegetables, or livestock, sell it, and take that money to go up to Jerusalem and use it for their festival time. It's the other aspect of the tithe. The third aspect is a three-year tithe. Every third year, it says, according to Deuteronomy 14.22, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do." So the third year tithe was they were to take a tenth of their produce product from the ground that yielded or their livestock, bring it into the town, into the storehouse, and it was to be used to feed again the Levite or the sojourner or stranger that came into that town or the widows or the orphans. Social care for those who had no land to produce food or any byproducts. 
And so they were to take what they had grown, what God had yielded out of the fruit of that land, and through God, share it with other people. Again, what's the principle? God is the one who blesses our land. We, in return, thank Him for it and bless others with it. That's the point. Our giving is to have substance of blessing. And so we renovate this building, we have outreach, we try to improve our city and our society by being Christians, worshiping together, and giving so that we can have a tangible presence in our community. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're doing it. And it's a really simple principle. You know what? God wanted them to know that I own the land, you don't. Remember me. And they often failed in giving their tithes. Come on, he let them have 90% of whatever the field gave. Why do you think every time God talks about if you will fulfill your tithe, you will be blessed? Your fields will be blessed. Your livestock will be blessed by giving. See, we make it this, this exchange between God. If we give him money, he's happy, and then he'll bless us. It was a simple principle. If you work the land properly and feed the people that are among you, then you'll be blessed and your fields will increase. Reciprocity. It's the aspect of giving. Do you know that's what the the Sabbath was all about too? You don't own time. God owns time. And so what he wants you to do is tithe or give him a seventh. Give him one day out of all the day of your work and your occupation and all that you do. Give him one day out of the seven so that you'll remember he's in control of your life. These are regulatory things, folks, that are not legalistic binding things that God throws lightning bolts at you. They were systems of a healthy life. So that when all nations would look to the nation of Israel, they would wonder and say, how is it that you are such a great civilization? Because they had rest, and they had well-groomed fields, and they're hungry, and they're poor, and visitors were well cared for. They were stewards, and this is what the principles are all about. Stewardship of what God has given you. Come on, some of us are way overworked. Would you agree? You're working too much because you're not giving back to God the time and the rest you need to set the priorities of your life. We're doing too much and we're misspending our money and our finance because finance is related directly to rest. Did you know that? Because if you're handling your finance enough, you can rest. If you're handling your finance enough, you can be healthy. If you're handling your finance enough, you can share and give to others. It's all related to the well-being of a society. Take away the concern of Sabbath rest and, and giving unto God, and what do you have? Hmm, let's think. Let's pick a society. Uh, how about America? Are we overworked, overstressed, unhealthy? Because the principles of God that set a standard of a healthy life and stewardship of your life are being violated continually. If we, the church, would get back on this, we would find health and prosperity. 
not in the need for a bigger car, but in a healthy life and a peaceful life. Does that make sense? And the ability to give to others. I remember working in China with a pastor from New York. He had a ministry there and he had a business there. And when he came to establish the business in China, they made refrigerator magnets, okay? Uh, But the business was a front for the gospel. And uh, he hired workers and a number of employees there. And in China, a communist, atheistic government, he established that on Sundays they were to rest. Completely foreign concept to these Chinese workers. And he said, no, according to God, we will take one day off, the first day of the week, Sunday, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That will be a day off. And all the workers were like, what? What are you talking about? That's a day I could work and make money. No, I must work. And he said, no, you must rest and care for your family. They couldn't handle it. They hated it. Many of them would go pick up extra jobs on Sundays because they had a day off. But something began to happen in that factory and in that place for the workers realized that they paid enough for the six days of work to actually cover seven and some began to take that day and be with their family and rest and there was a noticeable difference between the workers who clamored to make as much and those who had enough and rested. And they were convinced that this was a better way. And they began to convince the other workers. It's God's system. All right? So giving is based on your attitude and your heart, not your percentage. Now let's go on. Where did the tithe in the New Testament come from? Let's consider the history of it. Did you know in the first 500 years of the church, they did not bring the 10% tithe into church giving? Because church giving was motivated by a heart captured by God. But what happened as the church grew, church leaders strongly opposed the enforced tithe. In 250 AD, Cyprian failed. He tried to impose a tithe based on the Old Testament, but it didn't work in the church. It wasn't until 585 at the Council of Macon in France, they tried to enforce tithing again. It didn't didn't take in the church because you, you, you couldn't do that based on New Testament Scripture. It wasn't until the 700s when the church and Scriptures became foreign to each other and most people did not have Scripture that they enforced Charlemagne legally allowed the church to collect and mandate tithing of 10%. And so from 700 A.D. or 777 A.D., it became uh, mandatory for tithing in the church and from there on we've had the old testament 10 percent overlaid on new testament giving i am not opposed to 10 percent giving that's awesome we should give 10 percent. we should give 12 percent. we should continue to give as the lord gives unto us we should continue to have faith to give but i want to tell you if you give five percent you're not going to be inflicted by the curses from the old testament giving the reason they were there is because if in Malachi, for example, that whole railing against them as robbing God was to the Levites who were not properly giving what God had determined them to give, and that eroded the entire theocratic system that caused the rest to not give, and so it was failing as a culture. But in the New Testament, we are saved in all cultures, all economic, and we're supposed to give by faith, not a particular percentage. Now, 
let me help you understand what New Testament giving looks like. Basically, we've lost the heart of giving. We've made it about appeasing God. How many of you have heard uh, sermons on giving and sermons on tithing that make you feel and realize that if I don't hit that 10% regularly, God is displeased with me? Anybody? Anybody hear sermons like that? Okay. Now, what I want to show you is the heart of giving, participating with God in this process. Something has exchanged in the New Testament. What was the economy of the Old Testament, livestock and products, uh, byproducts from the ground of a harvest and fruit, in the New Testament, what has become the new harvest? Fruits and apples? What? souls every reference to harvest and bearing fruit has to do with the spirit of god and souls being saved and the gospel being preached the new economy is god saving souls not god collecting your money if we get that right we'll give the money so that souls will be saved amen we're not connecting the harvest unto the tithe as it was connected in the Old Testament. The New Testament connection is the harvest is people. God took the economy of Israel with its fruits and vegetables and livestock and now as a picture shows the New Testament to be souls one for Christ and the fruit of God's Spirit growing in us. That's the heart for giving. Can I get an amen on that? Let me help you understand that as Paul preaches it in the free will offering. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul talks about collecting money. So let's look at the principles laid out in the New Testament. It's not a tithe system based on Israel in the land. By the way, when Israel was out of the land in captivity to Babylon, how much did they tithe? Nothing. Why? They weren't in the land. There was no temple, no Levites to support, no tithe. How many Jews tithe today? None. Jews can't tithe. It would be a sin against God to tithe because although Israel's now back in the land, there is no temple and there are no Levites working in the temple. They take free will offerings in their synagogues, but they do not tithe. But we use all their scriptures to say, you must give 10%. If not, you'll be cursed by God. Great. Can I also tell you that again, if you think that your giving to God is going to based on how God's going to give back to you, that is so wrong because it is an affront to the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything I get from God is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, if I work in obedience to God's prompting, I will receive fruit and blessing because so matter how much you sow, you will reap now that's a basic principle okay but that's not god cursing or not that's you working within the principles of the kingdom god will bless you because of jesus not because of your giving 
or lack of. But may I say, if we lack giving, we're missing the heart of the gospel and the church is failing at what it should be doing. Let's look at the New Testament principle. Number one, on the first day of once in a while, let's get the principles right. On the first day, what day is that? Sunday. Paul's preaching to the church. He says they normally meet on the Lord's Day. The Sabbath is Saturday. Why did the church meet on Sunday? Resurrection, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new creation. So they met on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, and they were to meet every week, right? Okay, so on the first day of the week, every week, they are to come together and what? Let's see. Every week, they are to give. So every week, you are to give. So we are to proportion our giving by a weekly consideration. Well, you may miss a week, but you're supposed to make up for it, all right? You may give once a month, that's fine, but you delineate, here's the point, a regular and consistent giving. Why? Why should we have regular and consistent giving among church folk? I'll tell you why. There's regular and consistent bills. Now, how spiritual is that? Okay? We are not funded by the government. We are not funded by anything we sell. We are not funded by anything except a free will offering. Okay? Now, so, on the first day of every week, that means we have to designate, we have to consider what we're going to give. How many people? Who should give? Everybody. Everybody. Well, I don't know if I want to pay yet. You're not paying me. Oh, yes, I get a paycheck. It's not about that. It's about the work we can accomplish as a people together. The idea is that we're working with God so that this church can accomplish something. If you don't feel this church is accomplishing what it should be doing for the kingdom of God, you should leave. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to say you are responsible to invest. And if you don't feel you can invest here, why are you here? So you want to invest in something you believe in. Does that make sense to you? Okay, it's really that simple. So each one, everybody, every week is to put something aside and store it up as you prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So it's as we prosper. It's in proportion to what we give. Now, here's where the situation is. You may have been doing great at the beginning of the year and maybe lost your job. And so you're going to have to adjust your giving based on your finance, right? I've heard other people teach, well, you can't stop that tithe. You made a vow. You better take a loan out to pay off that tithe. Oh, that's genius. Now people are going to be really messed up and hurt. Look at the point of all of this is to get the people of God to be living stewarded lives that are so healthy that everyone else looks at us and says, how do you do it? Well, we do it this way. God taught us that if we put him first in our finances, we've got to get everything else in order in our house aligned with it. 
because money has a great power and influence over our lives. Would you agree? So if we set this first, and that's why I'm preaching it on the first Sunday of the year, that we'd get our house in order, we would manage it well. And if something happens in your house where in your prosperity and your blessing and your bills, something is hits, you can't meet it, you then adjust as you prosper. But stay consistent and stay in your giving. All right? Whether it's 10%, whether it's 5%. There are many who have been giving 10% and they feel I'm right with God. For the last 30 years, they've been giving 10% and their finance is set up so that 10%, no problem at all. How much faith is in operation in that tithing? None. It's just another bill to pay. And that's not New Testament giving. New Testament giving is you are to establish what you should give and then challenge your faith to give more. It should be ever-increasing. As you're growing in the Lord, so should your stewardship. Does that make sense to you? Three very simple principles every week. So that means deliberately, intentionally, you have established a budget so that every week you're giving to, the, to work with God in all of this. Who? Everybody. Each of you. How? As you prosper, you should give. Now, if we were all to begin prospering and be affluent, what should happen in the church? Yeah. We, our outreaches should be greater and, and, and more wonderful because we're able to do those things. Doesn't that make sense? Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's look at these principles. Paul says this. The point is this. <laughs> Real simple. You sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. There's your New Testament principle. It's based on faith. What you put into it you'll get out of it, okay? If you come to this church once a month, you come on a Sunday morning once a month to hear the Word of God, and you don't put any more effort into that, you're not going to reap the benefits of this body and fellowship and growing in the Word unless you're studying at home. A lot of folks aren't studying at home. You need to study at home. But the more you invest here, the more you invest in the kingdom of God, the more your heart is consumed with the things of the Lord. Does that make sense to you? And again, connected to the harvest, what is the harvest in the New Testament? Souls. I, I, it, it, if, uh, it amazes me how prosperity preachers take all the promises of blessing, right? And say in the New Testament, if you give, God will give back, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in your lap. Well, that's right, Pastor Tim, that's a verse. Yeah, that verse has nothing to do with finance. Look at that verse. That verse has everything to do with relationships. It's all about how you treat others. If you will treat others well, guess what will happen? They'll treat you well. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. But it's true in, in the more you plant in your vineyard, the more grapes you're going to get. This is true. And so we use all that and we say all the verses about a bigger harvest and a bigger yielding of the crops and all this, see, God promised it. Yeah, that's the Old Testament concept with the land. But what's the harvest? What's the yielding in the New Testament? How come nobody preaches the prosperity of winning souls? We've made it all about money. New Testament church in America is rich. We've got jets. We've got Rolls Royces. We've got all sorts of servants and people. We've got 10 houses. Look how blessed we are. But it doesn't match what the harvest is. 
That's why Jesus called the church at Laodicea naked, wretched, blind, and poor. They were wealthy monetarily. But what is our harvest? What are we to invest in? What are we to sow in? The lives of people. And I'll be quite honest with you this morning. May I be very transparent? I'm quite disappointed that all these chairs are open. You know why? Souls. Souls. We need to reach the lost or we are failing the harvest. We want a blessed harvest. Let's invest our lives in this. Amen? Does that make sense? And in proportion to your money, if you don't have much money to give, fine. Give consistently, regularly. That's for your benefit. So you get your finance in order and your house in order. But still witness and still reach people. Care for them. Amen? That's the economy of the New Testament. Now, all right, what does he go on? The next verse he says this. Each one must give. Let's break that down a little bit. Let's think about it. Let's see. Um, each one. What do you think that means? Oh, only when you reach a certain age. Are you teaching your children to give? Teaching your children to give. You're teach- I hope you're teaching them how to use money wisely at home because they're watching you. <laughs> we need to teach our children how to give. And they should be giving in an offering because we need to establish that giving to the work of the Lord is essential, right? Well, we only give if we make a certain amount of money per year. Is that right? Jesus' example was the widow who gave what? All that she had. Okay? So each one must give. It's a command. And again, folks, I hope you're getting this. I hope I can be clear. I don't know if I am, but I want to be. This is for our benefit. It is to set up and establish our household's economy. God is trying to tell us, if you will have a heart for me, I will order your house the way it should be. Each one must give as he has what? Okay, so here we are at the beginning of January. You need to take a day this week. You need to fast and you need to pray and you need to decide in your heart between whom? You and Jesus. I don't look at offerings. I've never looked at anybody's personal offering. I don't know what you give. I don't care to know what you give. I don't want to preach to those who give or don't give. I just want to preach the word. All right? This is between you and God and what you decide in your heart. It's not mandated that everybody here give 10%. It's not mandated that everybody here give 5%. It's not mandated what we see the national average is 2.5. Boy, I hope we can do better than that, folks. But begin to give what you can consistently every week. That means you're going to have to look at that. Oh, well, do I do that on my gross or on my net? It means on what you bring into the house. What you bring in, you give. All right? What you yield as a crop, as a harvest, what you bring into your finance, that's what you're going to give. And where should your giving in the church be? At the bottom or at the top? At the top, set that first and manage your bills, manage your household, and then manage your lattes after that. But you decide in your heart. It is a faith issue. 
Everything in the New Testament is based on faith. And with faith comes a challenge. We think faith is determining what we think we can handle. That's not faith. Faith is the juncture at which you go beyond your abilities. Okay? As in proportion, what did he say? As in proportion as to how you prosper. Okay? Now, let's go on. He then says this, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why would we be reluctant? There's a couple reasons for reluctancy. One is, we're underwater. I can barely pay the bills I have. I understand that. Then give your time. Give your effort. But give to the kingdom of God. Win souls. Care for the lost, the widows and the orphans. Do what you must do. Does that make sense? Okay. Another reason is, we like our money. And we're going to hold on to it. They must have enough money. Look at all the stuff they painted and carpet and all that. Why should I keep giving? Well, this building was going to fall apart, and now it's not. So we're good there, but we still got to keep going. We've got goals we want to accomplish. So we don't want to be reluctant in our giving. And I like how Paul put this in, or under compulsion. What's that? Duress. If you don't give, God is not going to bless you or like you. That would be compulsion right? I don't know how many people I've talked to that under this duress message of God cursing them, it is foolishness, it is sad to consider that God would curse the body of Jesus Christ. That doesn't make sense, does it? Are you the body of Jesus? Is he going to curse his son? It doesn't make sense. Now, can the body be in rebellion and not obedient? Yeah, So what has God got to do? Jesus has got to get his house in order. But he's not going to curse us. All right. In fact, what he wants is this. A what? Cheerful giver. In the Greek word, hilaros. We get the word what? Hilarious. Hilaros. Joyful. Cheerful. Why? He wants you to participate in what he's doing in the earth. It changes it from us appeasing an angry God to come on, let's do this together. Let's win souls. Let's hear testimonies. Let's see God change the lives of people. Invite people into this church. Invite people into your home. Feed them. Care for them. Use your money to produce the kingdom. I was with a brother uh, last week, and we, we had lunch together, and there was a poor person, you could tell, a homeless guy sitting by the door. And, and this brother got up, and he went over, and he gave him a $5 bill. No one asked him. That guy didn't even beg for it. He just did it in a hilarious way. He just, in a, in a way of just the Spirit of God prompted him. Look at that guy. He said, I'm going to bless him. Gave him five bucks. God wants a cheerful giver. Come on, let's work together on this thing. Come on, let's set your economy. Let's let Jesus be your CPA. Right? By the way, you know what the guy did with the five bucks? Crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage. Yeah. He didn't want any handouts. So, he got the five bucks back and put it in his pocket. (laughs) I would too. (laughs) 
what unfortunately has been happening are these two things is either people have been under the duress of the 10% tithe or God's going to get you and they've felt condemned because most people are struggling to give 10% or people just don't want to give and can only give as much as they can but feel bad about it and uh, or we're using our disposable income otherwhere other places now the, the term, how many of you have heard of disposable income, right? So disposable or discretionary income, another way to use it, is that which is yours after tax is probably the best definition, is defined as the income which the individuals can spend at their own discretion, i.e. at their free will. So most of us have some level of free will offering, and what's unfortunately happened is we have been supporting the work of the kingdom of God by disposable income. Whatever we have left over at the end of everything. Where's the priority of the kingdom in that? Where is the giving with God in that? Remember, He's the one who owns everything. That's the Old Testament principle. I own everything. Your time your finance, your fields, your land, everything God owns. He wants you to establish an order to it. And by doing that, let's look at some of the things. Summary, he says, every Sunday I want each of you to give as you prosper and you must give as it is decided in your heart that you've established to do according to your income, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but share with me what we're going to do in 2016. I want you to work with me. I want to work through you, not against you. I don't want you opposed to me. Let's work this thing out. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So it's to be first. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom, and all these things shall be added to you. So what is the order we should have everything in? Does it look like this? Money's one. My heart, my issues are number two. And number three, the kingdom of God. If any of this seems to resonate and you're looking at it and go, hmm, maybe that's my situation, then let's reorder it. Maybe you should be first, money second, and the kingdom third. Maybe this one matches up. We're playing matchy-matchy game. Should it be this? Kingdom first, take care of ourselves, and money third. That's kind of hard to do though, isn't it? Money is really close with who we are and what we do. That's why Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject. The second issue he spent more time on was hell. I actually think it should be like this. Your heart should be captivated by the kingdom, owned by the kingdom, and money is at your feet. Do you control the money or does it control you? You can't serve money and God. And so I believe this is where we're supposed to be, folks. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so I conclude with this. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And if He has your heart, the two of you can use your finance for the harvest and to reap many souls. I'm believing 2016, we're going to see a harvest, a New Testament harvest of souls. 
And that's going to take the people of God having a heart for that and a vision for that and you getting your household economy in order according to God's principles. Amen? And we'll see souls saved. That's the sign of prosperity in the New Testament. Let's bow our heads. Father God, help us.